What is it? Dragons? I think it's just an old man flying through the sky. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh my god, he's gonna blow! Make it so. Hail satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the movie podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my intrepid co-hosts. I'm Jack Olander, a member of the guard who thinks our captain might have gone a little overboard recently. Mm-hmm, that makes sense. And I'm Chelsea. A wizard upstart who thinks he's all that. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe you got it after all. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense to me. You're going, yeah. please. <laughs> well, guys, this week we watched 1981's classic fantasy film, Dragon Slayer. Directed by Matthew Robbins, who also directed, um, and, um... Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh this is um a movie. Yes it is. That's <laughs> been Swords and Satire for this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually there's a bit more I wanted to say. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, why don't we get into our recap? Yes, the summary. Here goes. It's going. It's happening. <laughs> In a world where dragons are real and sorcerers are dropping like flies, it is up to a fledgling apprentice to save the day. In Dragon Slayer, we follow the sorcerer's apprentice, Galen Bradwarden, not to be mixed up with the sorcerer's apprentice, the movie with Nicolas Cage. But this guy is a sorcerer's apprentice. Yes. Just so we're clear. Yes. So he is on an epic quest to defeat a dragon plaguing the countryside of Erland. Erland. <laughs> Upon his arrival, Galen learns of a lottery t to choose the virginal off offerings to the dragon every spring and autumnal equinox. It soon comes to light that the lottery is rigged to the detriment of the lower classes. And in his hubris, Galen thought he could easily dispatch the beast and claim the title of Master Sorcerer. Sounds like a class struggle to me. Oh boy. But instead, he finds the dragon is not as it appears, and he becomes enmeshed in the local king's political intrigues and falls victim to his own ambitions. See? See? Told you. Huh. <laughs> He ultimately faces the dragon three times before it is slain, with the help of his former master, resurrected Gandalf style, nice. and his traveling companion turned love interest, Valerian. Ooh. <laughs> Fun fact, this movie is rated PG and yes. features boob. Yes. Side boob. Yes. I mean... Tasteful. Yeah, it was tasteful. It was underwater, but it was boob. Yeah, yeah. And PG. So that's it for the summary. It's a pretty straightforward... 
storyline with a lot of ins and outs. Well, we're known for short, very um, to-the-point summaries. That's right. <laughs> so, Jamie, <laughs> I, I couldn't help but notice there was a minor theme of class struggle in this film. You're goddamn right there was. It was minor, like being yeah. on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was about well, as subtle as a sharp stick in the eye. Yeah. Before we get too deep into that, I thought we might want to just do a broad overview, real quick, of magic in this world and how it's treated. Oh, Ooh, I like magic. <laughs> I like the way it's treated. <laughs> you do? It's kind of confusing. Well, I, mean, they, I feel like they kind of follow the Tolkien-esque, like, subtle magic in this world. Kind of, um, you know, the the kind of like Willow. There's not there's a there's a fine line between actual fantasy magic and stage magic. Yeah, um, I was. Gonna Galen's say, like a stage mage, as it were. Yeah, oh. I guess that's true, Jack. It is interesting. A real um, Dexter Drake type. For you Arkham Files fans out there. Ooh. Yeah, I, I noticed also that magic is part theatrical and part real. They use um, visual and audible uh, cues to inspire the idea that something otherworldly is going on when mm -hmm. the master sorcerer is coming out of his chambers in the beginning. And Galen uses sleight of hand. But there's an actual real magical artifact that gives them their powers. Yeah. Or it's at least the source of their powers, like, to some extent. Because his master goes beyond that later on. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, old Ulrich McGandalf is uh, <laughs> definitely got, like, some real sorcery. Although his shit fails him hard. Or at least it seems to in the beginning when he gets stabbed in the chest. But I guess we find out later that, that was all kind of a ploy. Yeah. Or it was, was it? all his plan to be resurrected in the dragon's lair even stronger than he was before. As yes. a fucking bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, yes, he really did pull a classic Gandalf gambit. Yeah. Actually, to make him explode, they had to destroy the artifact, which was um, a stone on a um, pendant. <laughs> That was like a yellow stone that seemed to have a mind of its own, and we thought it was kind of like the mind stone. Yeah. So much like recent uh, horror suspense hit Parasite, this movie also features a magic stone. Right. Ah, yes, you're right. Yeah. Yes. That is very much the catalyst for a great deal of the plot in this film. Ah, yes. Well, there was one scene where the main lad was attempting to break into the lockbox where it was kept. But he is caught by the guards and the king. And this is right about the time where a dragon is sieging the land. Or, you know, laying waste. Like they do. Like they do. And the king, he just wants to save his daughter, who's about to be sacrificed to this thing. And he knows that this shitty little kid who can do minor miracles and major bullshit. <laughs> uh, he thinks this is his last hope. He's turning to his last resort. Yeah. He pulls out the necklace with this, like, citrine octahedron in the, like, clutch of a dragon's claw yeah. as well. As, a, as, like, a cast. That's definitely an item that we need to acquire for the Swords and Satire vault. Definitely, mm -hmm. definitely. When the king holds it out, it kind of starts leaning toward the protagonist, and when he sets it down on the table, it slides by itself across the length of a long dining hall table. 
Although we can't really be sure that Galen hadn't, like, attached some fishing line to it and was just kind of inching it to himself using his stage magic power. Oh, look, I'm the chosen one. Wow, it's coming to me. And, of course, all the, like, the royalty are like, oh, this guy has legitimate sorcery powers. Yeah. But sometimes, okay, so it seems to have an affinity for him. It prefers to work with him. Yes. Because it wouldn't work for the king. He tried to use it. And you seem to be able to cast magic by speaking in Latin, spells in Latin, and hold while you're holding the stone. And the king tried to do this, and it burned him, and it wouldn't work. It yeah. didn't want to work with him. Yeah, no, no, right. the, the stone believes in a people's uprising. <laughs> yes, yeah. dude, the king got fucked up yeah. by that stone. There's like a, a, um, a triangle-shaped just burn into his hand. Yeah. It's real bad. He's yeah. going to die of infection for sure. Yeah, the the stone yeah. is a uh, you know, a supporter of the proletariat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um so there's another part where the stone doesn't really want to work with what Galen wants it to do. He's trying to bring Hodge back to life when the crazed captain of the guard shoots him. Poor sweet Hodge. Oh, I know. I loved Hodge. He was one of our favorite characters. Yeah. And uh, you guys noticed favorite uh, or, or recurring favorite from another great fantasy film. Which we will watch in, uh, for another episode. The never ending story. Yes. He's one of the gnome characters. The scientist gnome. <laughs> near the end of the movie. This guy is a fucking champ. <laughs> yeah. I'm very famous in the scientific community. <laughs> yes. Yep. And so we were sad when he died, but he he knew the, what the master's plan was. And so he told Galen to take the master's ashes with him to the dragon's lair. So that's how Galen knew what to do to bring his master yes. back. Yes, throw but, the ashes in the lake. So he wanted to bring Hodge back. Even though he had been mouthing off to him before, he felt really bad and he... He, they were kind of friends. Like that was the only other person he really associated with in the wizard's tower. Yeah. Oh yeah. So so he pulls out the stone and and speaks Latin over Hodge's remains, and um, it seems to glow for a second, and then it just burns him a little bit. It just kind of singes him. Like if you touch something hot, it didn't want to hurt him. It's just a little warning. It did, it did. Yeah. It was like a warning. Like don't fuck with me. Just a little like. <laughs> Ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not so bad. Like when bacon grease, like, spittles onto you. Kind of like that. And it yeah. usually glows yellow, but at the end it glowed a different color when he was supposed to destroy it to make his master explode. <laughs> like the color of nuclear fire. It was like, yeah, well... The stone's a, like, fuck you, I ain't going out like that. It glowed a bright, like, bluish-white color. Cool. And you could barely even look at it. Yeah, and that's right. smashed it with a huge rock yeah that's a good time also when we're talking about he and hodge real quick i think it's important to note the scene where he attacks hodge with the stone or uh, attack might be a bit harsh uh, because he was pranking hodge flexing his new powers now yeah. that he was chosen by this necklace yeah he uh he used like some sort of levitation to take the pack off of hodge's back and hold it beyond his reach 
making him look like a very old, frail man. Oh, yeah, and then he ripped his clothes off. Yeah, and then he ripped his clothes off. Yeah, he was basically it, it early was on... way too far. This was the last thing they fucking did before Hodge died. Yeah, er- yeah. early on we get to see the Galen of a very petty douchebag with, <laughs> with magic yeah. who basically assaults Hodge, you know, stripping him naked and, and like, kind of playing keep away with him like a total Bro. Okay, so before he died, Hodge did get to call him a braggart and an upstart. Hell yeah. Was that when he accused him of knavery? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Hodge. My man Hodge. So just to sum up this part of the discussion, it seems like the magical artifact is one of the most overt forms of magic we get to see in this world. But there is magic that exists outside of it, but it is kind of like Jamie said. It's more Lord of the Rings, Tolkien-esque magic where it's more subtle. And you see it when, uh, at the end, Galen makes a wish for a horse and it appears. Yes. Yes, But it's important to know there's actually a line about this in the movie. The blacksmith character says that he believes that magic is fading from the world, which is a good thing. That's right. Because he thinks that that means that dragons will start disappearing as well. Right. So, like, magic is not some. I mean, you know, like other signs of um, overt power and authority, magic is seen as very mistrustful. You know, you, you can't trust those who have magic because they're inherently going to lord it over you. Maybe use that power against you. They're exactly. tricky. Yeah. Tricky. Yeah. I think it's important real quick to give the audience an idea of what this old man wizard did. So the chief of the guard, pretty much, came... Tyrion. Yes, Tyrion was like, Hey, I want to see if you really can take down this dragon, old man. All the villagers say you can do it. He's like, Oh, yeah? I'll show you that I can take down a dragon. Drive this dagger into my chest. And Tyrion is like, Fuck, that's insane. And he's like, Yeah, right? Do it. (laughs) And so he stabs him in the chest, and he dies. We determined that Tyrion is a... (laughs) Tyrion is a solid, lawful neutral. Yeah, it's true. We he think seems so. to think that it's going to be a trick because the sorcerer chose his own knife from inside his his tower. So, And Tyrion was going on in a long speech about how wizards are just charlatans. So, I was suspecting it to be like one of those retractable blades that you get from like Spirit. I think that's mm-hmm. what I thought when I first saw the movie, and I was so shocked when he just fucking died. Yeah! Yeah, no, he just stabs him in the heart. It's brutal. Yeah, he kept talking, the old man, the wizard, the sorcerer, the master. He's like, what's wrong, Tyrion? Yeah. You a chicken? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> he was talking to his apprentice, the protagonist, about how he was looking forward to his death because he was very old. Yeah. And so he was like, oh, I welcome it. And then he just goes out and he's like, stab me in the chest. You won't do it, bitch. You won't. And then he fucking dies. And then later he comes back for his apprentice. And the first thing that happens is he gets clutched by the dragon and flown into the air. And then the apprentice smashes the stone and he fucking explodes, killing the dragon. Yeah. He blows up and there's no corpse. Yeah, Ulrich the was body a real... is gone. Ulrich was yeah. a real ticking time bomb. He was made out of just, like, jellified nitroglycerin. It was <laughs> insane. <laughs> there's just a fuse coming out of the top of his head that they lit like a bomb. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> nice. Well, that's nice. Yeah, All so right. that's how wild he was. I know. But yeah. 
I think it's time. So class struggle, guys. This movie's lousy with class struggle. I know. Swimming. All over. Where do we yeah. start? So, Let's talk about the lottery and who made it. Let's talk about the lottery and who made it. We all know what the lottery is. It's a tax on the poor. And in this case, it's yeah. quite a literal tax on the poor. Yeah. Because the lottery is a yearly event where they choose a young virgin, always female, of course, as virgins in films always are. Hmm. Very suspicious. None yeah. of the young lads would admit to being virgins, so... That's right. <laughs> of course Toxic not. Toxic masculinity in one. That's right. Yeah. So, whoever is picked has to be sacrificed to a fucking dragon. Now... One of our main characters, Valerian, has been cross-dressing for years at uh, her father's, uh, I guess, with her father's assistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, living her life as a young lad of the kingdom so that she would not be sacrificed. And he looked great when she was a he. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No. He pulled. They, they, she pulled off a great they. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought, I mean, I honestly, Valerian is one of my favorite characters in this film. Um, unfortunately, Valerian also exhibits a little bit of internalized misogyny. She's talking about how kind of, you know, women are, are you know, not useful in the kingdom and stuff, which obviously isn't true. I mean, in, in yeah. any, even in the most hierarchical societies, everyone has important roles they play, but sometimes they're more subtle or less respected. Obviously, a lot of times women's work is... Um, downplayed and degraded by society and stuff. But, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, Valerian Valerian has really internalized these narratives that she's used to hearing. But yeah, I mean, we see this kind of played out throughout the movie with the princess who uh, eventually determines that it's not fair that this lottery takes place where the poor are not even unequally harmed. The poor are the only ones harmed. The king has actually been keeping the princess's name out of the lottery every year and, and lying to her about it. Not just them. They learn she learned that other nobles are also bribing the people who make the the lots. Uh, the lots that people's names go on to so that they keep their daughters' names off of them. Right. So it's not even a disproportionate effect. It's a completely lopsided effect. It's rigged. It's a totally rigged system. The only way to win is not to play. The poor class uh, just takes the burden on their backs completely. Now, I will say it's pretty brutal. Uh, The princess does this, I'd say, a noble act. And then, uh, for her trouble, she gets eaten to death by wormlings. And there's just a scene where they're just, like, non-chewing off. They've chewed off her foot. I mean, it's pretty... Uh, unceremonious end to um, the poor Princess Elsbeth. Yeah, that's something that we hadn't mentioned yet, and that's what I was alluding to in the summary, that the dragon was not as it appears. It was a mother. Yeah! And it had three little wormlings, so it was needing all of those sacrifices to feed its wormlings. Mm -hmm. And they had to have not had sex. For them to get nutrients as well. I guess so. Uh, yeah, that seems yeah. like it's part of it. And be female. You know, if I was going to eat a sandwich, I think I'd rather that I'd know nobody had fucked it. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. I stand in that base. Now, yeah. another another theme that pops up a lot in this movie, that um, especially towards the end, is the theme of faith and the Christian religion especially. And is it even possible to see a film with 
fucking Palpatine in it and not think that he is just straight up the most evil character in the movie? Uh, it's it was difficult. He was one of the bishop, the Christian bishops. Yeah, Brother Jacobus. Yeah. Not Jacobus, Jacobus. Really? Yes. So this was a really wow. interesting theme to me. I We pointed out that it seemed kind of like the legend of St. Patrick and then... Uh, or I pointed that out, and then uh, Jamie pointed out he thought it was kind of like the legend of St. George. And I was kind of confused. I went in and read a little bit more about both of the legends, and it turns out they did a mixture of it to create this movie. A classic Ooh. George meets Patrick story. <laughs> yeah. Poor George. So uh, St. Patrick was a 5th century Romano-British Christian missionary and bishop in Ireland. He introduced Ireland, Chelsea. Ireland. <laughs> he introduced the Holy Trinity to Ireland, <laughs> and uh, by legend, he's credited with driving the snakes out of Ireland. Now, um, those so, snakes are, of course, the pagans. Well, I was about to get to that. So that that's not literal snakes. Evidence shows that post-glacial Ireland never had snakes. Uh, oh, maybe I should move there. Uh, so the legend is a metaphor, as Jamie pointed out. Uh, the snakes represent the druids. And the metaphor is bullshit. Uh, because black, there were black druids uh, that worshipped snakes, or venerated snakes, I would say, because saying they're snake worshippers is a gross oversimplification. So snakes are often a, have a positive symbolism associated with them in many cultures. And, um, so... Like Christianity, right? Snakes are always a, a sign of good things. Like, hey, you're gonna know a bunch of stuff now once you eat this apple. Or this fruit. <laughs> I think you might not have finished that one. Oh, that does, story. It, does it end badly for Adam and Eve? I'll let you figure that out later. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, so, the idea is that they were driven out. It's kind of, um, a poetic way of thinking about how paganism fell out of favor after St. Patrick established Christianity there. And so St. George, the legend is St. George and the dragon. And um, right. so St. George is the patron saint of England. and he, Not Ireland. No. Not Ireland. <laughs> and he's a military saint. And he was an actual person also who was martyred uh, in 303 common era uh for not recanting his christian faith and the legend goes that teach him. <laughs> the legend goes that saint george tamed and slayed a dragon that was demanding human sacrifices sounds uh, familiar in the process mm -hmm. he rescues a princess chosen as the next offering so they kind of did a twist on it and she died in this movie holy heck but this actually this legend has pre-christian origins which is really interesting um it actually originates from Greek myths of uh, Jason and Medea or Perseus and Andromeda. And it was mm. transferred to St. George in the 11th century. That makes sense. So they merge those two together. Obviously, the main premise of the movie is based on St. George and the Dragon, that legend. But where the legend of St. Patrick comes in is in the end of the movie, like you were pointing out, Jamie, when... Um, the priests uh, work to convince people to convert to Christianity, telling them that 
the dragons will die out if they convert and they will come out of this era of darkness. Now this is also the ending is also when the uh, the final icing on this uh, class struggle cake really gets applied when uh, the the corpse of the dragon that really Ulrich killed, but you know, with a bit of Galen and Valerian's help. The dragon is just like sitting there in chunky, uh, mangled bits. All practical effects. It was very yes. cool. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. but then the king just strolls up with his with his posse and is like, "Hey, by the way, I totally killed this dragon. Let me stab it in the, in the neck and totally show you guys that I did this." And then the priests are like, "Hail the king who totally killed this dragon, and you should totally be doing whatever he says because he's." inherited monarchy and nobility and y'all peasants don't know shit without the king. Actually, it goes higher up. The priests also gave God the credit for killing the, the dragon. Right, and but saying, then... like, see, you all converted to Christianity. It showed there was a scene of them all converting right before the dragon ki- was killed, and he's like, see what God can do? But of course, like <laughs> all medieval roy- uh, monarchy, the, the king associates himself with God. Right. The chosen of God. It's true. Yes. Yeah. In Christ's name we slay. Dude, I was so mad when they were giving the king credit for that. I was getting flashbacks to Hercules 3D, where his brother... The Legend of Hercules 3D? Yeah, that Whoa. the same one, and where his brother was claiming he killed the Nemean lion. Oh. And I was getting, like, flashbacks to that. Yeah. And I was like, why? Yeah. Why are people plagiarizing? Yeah, Galen was just chilling there, and he's just like, whatever, let's go. Yeah, Galen didn't really yeah, care. it was just the same. If he's the, seen through the illusion of capitalism. Well, I guess maybe not capitalism Jedi. at this point. Yeah. <laughs> the Jedi, yeah. He's seen through the illusion of monarchy and, and hierarchical power struggles, and he realizes that he can, like, live outside of the bounds of this now, and... You know, he's fine. He's going to be fine. Him and Valerian, those two crazy kids are going to do all right. Yeah, they're going to make it all right. They do leave together, right? Yeah, yeah. they do. <laughs> yeah. Don't you know they're in love now? Mm. Right. Yeah. Because uh, he's the hero and she's the main uh, female he love He saw interest. her naked. He did see her exactly. naked. Underwater. In a PG movie. Even sexier. Yes. She deserved more than she got. She was pawned off. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. She lived up to a lot of the coding for the hero. She really but then did. She yeah. was kind of pushed aside so that Galen could take the spotlight. Yeah, she kind of had the more heroic like origin story too. The, the child of a blacksmith. Yeah. You know, she's been out um, like part of the guard and stuff for a while. Like she's she's looked to for guidance from uh, the other villagers. Yeah. Yeah, she this takes could up have been, a leadership role. This could have been Valerian's movie. Galen's kind been. of a, a a man of opportunity. He's he's in the right place at the right time. The yeah. stone kind of just takes a liking to him. Yo, he's kind of a sleazy fucker, and he, he is. is charisma. Like he didn't really have the charisma to sell it. I don't think. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Peter McNichol is a just dripping with uh, sexual <laughs> energy. <laughs> I wasn't rooting for him. Like, yeah. He's kind of a Weasley guy. Don't you remember him as Renfield in Dracula, Dead and Loving It? I haven't seen it. Oh. Yes. I gotta watch that. Yeah. It's time for Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. 
It's the part of the podcast where we determine if the villain of this film was evil, stupid, or misunderstood. But first, we have to define the antagonist. Well, now, we've got a dragon. Classic antagonist. It's true. Possibly overdone. But I wouldn't say that. Yeah. If you would, I would say no. <laughs> There's still room for dragons. Exactly. We could yeah. also... See, I could see a reading where Galen is the antagonist. <laughs> no! He's holding back poor Valerian. He lets that poor princess die. <laughs> I guess he does. He kills a lot of... He kills three babies in this well, movie. Well, we've got see? multiple antagonists here. I mean... Just, Let's go through them all. <laughs> yeah, we've got the dragon, we've got Tyrion, we've got King Rex. Yeah. yeah. King King. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Tyrion was a villain? I mean, I, I feel like Tyrion was just a guy doing his job. Yeah. He was lawful neutral to a fault. That he sounds misunderstood to me. for being magicians. <laughs> well, but look at what magicians have done in this world. What have they Save done? the day. <laughs> uh, ruin shit. I thought the king saved the day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Tyrion is misunderstood. I think he's yeah. one of these guys who's just been, you know, forced into, um, you know, his position. He's probably minor nobility. He's got some rank. He's got some authority. He, I'm sure he's, he's misusing it a little bit, but I get the sense that he really truly wants what's good for the people. Now, how does he react when uh, the princess's name is in the um, in the lot? He 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 refuses to 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 help the king, right? He he says that they have to abide by the law. Doesn't yeah, he, he enforces yeah. the law. He forces the king to have to to uh, stick up or to follow the rules. Yeah. So he is equally applying the law. I respect that. That's true. He's not giving the king, you know, a privileged position just because he's the king. The reason he was um, killing all the magicians is because they were trying to come kill the dragon, and he was convinced they would fail and screw over the kingdom even more. So Tyrion was really, like, in his mind, he was doing the best possible thing to keep more young women from having to be sacrificed to this dragon. He knew the system. He knew what was going to happen. He didn't want to have that keep happening. He was really looking out for the people of the village. So yeah. maybe he's misunderstood. He didn't want to kill Ulrich either. I think he majored in misunderstood and took a minor in evil. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, back to your point. There was a scene specifically where he was talking to the king. And he says, I don't serve the king, I serve the kingdom. Yes, and so, see, I like that. I yeah. That was good character building. He's pretty cool. And let me tell you, this guy was just like, he sweat charisma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 This is, I would say this is one of the more nuanced characters from an 80s fantasy movie. Yeah. True. Surprisingly good. Yeah. yeah. So how about King Rex? What a douche. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid oh, yeah. monarchs. Stupid, I mean, dumb king. <laughs> I mean, he tries to break the law he's, after years of getting away with, you know, protecting his daughter. Can't even, you know, do that right. <laughs> <laughs> he's learned in terms of, like, book learning. But, yeah, we don't have time for that book learning. <laughs> and he's, he's, um, people talk about him as if he's, like, the best diplomat in the land. <laughs> we don't see that. But... Self-appointed uh, title. Uh, yeah, maybe. 
Because honestly, he seems to be pretty stupid when it comes to social encounters. Yeah. Big, uh... He's kind of bumbling. Yeah, big statement on what the writers thought nobility was like. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'd say it's an accurate portrayal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he was... Got him. Yeah. I'm not sure if he was evil. He was trying to protect his daughter and the kingdom. I think maybe coming up with the idea of feeding a dragon child, like children could is just kind of... That's pretty evil. Not, not, not going to lie. Not a great plan. It yeah. Was, just you know, um, coded as shameful based on the dialogue in the movie. Yeah. It's embarrassing to them, definitely. Mm-hmm. And they only feed young women who have not had sex. And that, you know, that is also evil in a discriminatory way. That's right. You'd think everybody would be going around having sex all the time so that they wouldn't be chosen. Yeah, but like Jamie said, then they're witches. <laughs> yeah, then you have another thing to contend with. Yeah. Well, you're damned if you do, if you know what I mean, and you're damned <laughs> if you don't, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I think the dragon was definitely misunderstood because she was just trying to feed her babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a poor working class mother being attacked <laughs> by the system. Well, Yo, no, you know, you have to have your little wormlings, but once you've had the wormlings, we're not going to help you feed them. Yeah, it's true. And in the allegory uh, for the legend of St. George and St. Patrick all kind of mixed together, she also represents pagan faiths. The dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And her wormlings are kind of like uh, the sacrifices people used to make to uphold their beliefs and please the gods right and um the christian priests are kind of talking about that as a time of darkness and yeah they sacrifice stuff too but they just didn't cover that in the movie yeah and then this poor dragon is blown up by a fucking wizard yeah yeah Yeah. very, very unfortunate she didn't expect a crazy bomber well she was attacking them because they killed her babies well, yeah, that's a yeah. legitimate reason. That was a big turning point. She was just going from hunting for her wormlings. Then the main character, Galen, comes in and he's just like, ha ha, time to kill some children. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he slaughters the wormlings. I mean, to be fair, he saved who knows how many human lives by doing that. Yeah. But he also ruined one dragon mother's life by doing that. She was clearly filled with rage. Uh, come to think of it, it's pretty impressive that they conveyed that emotion yeah. on a practical effect to Dragon's face. That, like, the grief and, like, anger. It was pretty good. I, I really felt it. Yeah, you could really see it in this mm-hmm. thing's face. I it, I it raises a lot of questions about dragon metabolism. If one <laughs> if one virginal young woman is enough to feed a dragon and her wormlings for, I guess, a year... Well, they... It it was twice a year that they were fed. okay. Well, still impressive. Mm -hmm. That's very slow metabolism for a large creature. Yeah. It seemed to be hibernating for quite some time. Yeah. And I've heard from uh, some lores that dragons have periods of decades where they're in hibernation. Right. So... I can see that. Yeah. yeah. It could have been in a a less active state. Yeah. And Not burning a lot of calories. Yeah. yeah. Burning some towns, though, when it gets upset. Hey! Hey! 
Yeah, and it was, this is another movie that we've seen where dragons are tied to magic in the world. Yes, much like the uh, swords and satire classic Age of the Dragons. And Dungeons and Dragons. Ooh, my favorite things that go together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, with that out of the way, I guess it's time to rate this movie. Now, as everyone knows, our rating system is out of ten swords, with one sword being utter banal trash and ten swords being the mwah, best of the best. Ooh. I'll go first. Yes. So my epic feature of the movie is I really appreciate this movie does a lot of showing and not telling. In fact, there's not even there's entire like there's long moments of no dialogue where it's you're really given a lot of opportunity to luxuriate on the visuals and you know they've done a lot of good set design, some good practical effects, um, you know beautiful locations they shot on. I really like that there's these kind of long moments where they don't need to be explaining what's happening. There's not a lot of character interaction. You're getting to see locales. Sets, motion, movement through space. Something that, it was a little artsier than I expect a lot of fantasy movies to go for. I really appreciated that. As a as a seminal text in the fantasy oeuvre, um, I think this movie is deserving of seven swords and a short sword. Seven and a half swords. Mm. Pretty, pretty high quality, well made, fun movie overall. Generous. Generous. Jack? Hmm. Let's see. I already mentioned the cool dragon expressions, so maybe I'll have to just give a shout-out to how cool his shield and spear Uh, were. The the spear spear. named Dragonslayer. Yes, Dragonslayer. The the titular character of the film. Yes, it's true. (laughs) The blacksmith made this really nice spear... Which was incredibly sharp, and then the main character uses a spell to make it even harder and sharper. It cuts a fucking anvil in half. Yeah, it does! With a swing, it cuts the anvil in half. And when he's fighting the captain of the guard, he stabs straight through a wooden beam and through the guard's chest. Poor Tyrion. Yeah, Tyrion fucking was shocked, as he should have been. As well, the shield was made out of dragon scales, which had just naturally molted off, and uh, were flammable and lightweight. Not flammable. Not flammable. Fire retardant. But still, yes, but still lightweight. <laughs> and uh, the dragon apparently absorb a lot of heat because Galen didn't just die from being surrounded by fire. It's because he's cool as ice. <laughs> 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 yeah. And uh, so that was pretty neat. Yeah, that's my cool moments. And I'm going to have to, I think, give this film a solid five swords right in the middle. I thought it was good. It wasn't crazy good. It wasn't bad, though. Better than I thought. I had an enjoyable time watching it. Five swords. Nice. Clang, clang. Fair. <laughs> slash, slash. <laughs> What about you, Chels? Well, so the epic moment I want to share is when Princess Elspeth just pushes her father aside and says, 
All of the tallies have my name on them. You have read them correctly. I am offering myself up as tribute, basically. Nice, yes. Uh, she really hunger games herself. She just brushes her father aside and takes over uh, to to sacrifice herself. <laughs> but Very cool. So it was a brave move. Uh, she was trying to right a wrong. And um, I thought that it. was an epic moment because she kind of just tends to take a backstage seat for most of the time but she just swoops in and and drops the mic yeah so uh that was an epic moment i'm gonna give this movie six swords because it was a good movie well made and um a lot of interesting uh, bits of legend that it pulls from it um it was a it was a good movie nice yeah well guys on that note i think it's time that we head off to the bounty board. What's that? What? It's the bounty board. It's where we thank all of our friends and advertisers and sponsors. All the people who helped this podcast get made nice that makes me feel good inside it should yeah it's like a magic solve and a healing potion all in one and it makes your organs soft and smooth Ooh. so what do we have on the bounty board today well the first item on the bounty board is we'd like to give a shout out to casey cannon casey cannon who's that if you listened to last week's episode you already know if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go do that so you know. She's our <laughs> dear friend, and she's the graphic designer responsible for our awesome logo, which Epic. you should be looking at right now while you listen. You should be staring at it the whole time you're listening and absorbing the majesty of it. Yeah, look at that. The lettering, the coloring, the lines. Oh, the sword. so clean. The sword. The satire. Oh my god, you it can has see everything. It. You can see it. Yeah. Casey specializes in branding, packaging, and lettering, and she's always looking for fun projects to work on. So if you want to see more of her work and contact her about any potential projects, just visit CaseyCannon.design. That's C-A-S-E-Y-C-A-N-N-O-N dot design to check her out. Go do it. You should. There's some awesome stuff up on our website. Yes, there is. It'll make your heart warm and your organs moist. <laughs> All right, Chelsea, what else is on the bounty board this week? Hug a loved one. <laughs> yeah. Like every week. <laughs> You'll earn life points and happiness points if you go give somebody a compliment. That's your quest for this week. Ooh, very nice. Uh, make appropriate eye contact with someone you're speaking with. Not too much, but, like, enough to let them know you actually listen. Yeah. In return, uh, maybe I'll think about you doing it and give a little thumbs up. <laughs> and I'm going to suggest people eat a healthy snack when they're feeling a little bit low on energy and they need a pick-me-up. Mm. May I suggest some elven whey bread? Oh! Or maybe, like, a banana. Whey helps you get gains. 
<laughs> I, I've never seen an elf with much in the way of gain. That's why they, they put it in the bread. I don't know if that's how their diet should be, but they're trying to figure it out. Elves are just always carbo-loading. You would never know it, though. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Elven way bread. We'll drop a recipe for that soon. <laughs> Chelsea is a great baker, so maybe we can make oh, that happen. Yeah. And half elven. <laughs> Throw some whey, some mystical energy in there. The heart of the forest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, I'll, you have to I'll get draw. heart of the forest to put into the bread? Well, that makes sense to oh, me. Man. I'll draw on the blood of my people to create it. Oh, that's Your great. Elven blood bread has blood in it? Oh, is that yeah. vegan? No, my elven blood has bread in it, Jamie. <laughs> oh! Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> I can... I can see that. As a... I, as a... Yeah. As a lame human, I don't know these things. I'm just really having a surreal moment imagining Legolas getting a cut and seeing bread like foam just kind of coming out of it. Whoa. That's why there's no blood in those movies. Yeah. <laughs> And then just Gimli kind of like tearing off a piece and nibbling on it and being like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's a fine blood you've got there, lad. Thank you, brother. He, he snaps open a uh, beer. Yeah. <laughs> Which is basically bread. Dwarven beer. Is, uh, that's consistency of bread. So Yeah, that makes sense. It's just a glass of water with a loaf of bread in it. <laughs> it's beer. Leave it in a cave for a few months and it'll ferment. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That might just be poison. Luckily, dwarves have resistance to poison. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Well, now that we've got our bounties uh, squared away for the week, I think it's time to rewrite history. Whoa! <laughs> this is the part where we talk about ideas for a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff for the movie we just discussed. You know, we were kind of alluding to this earlier, and I would really like to see a reboot, it would have to be, because one of these characters is dead. So, we would have to reboot the movie. Alright, I'm ready. And, um... Center it around Valerian and Elspeth. I think that would be really cool. Yes, Elspeth, unsung hero. And they find out together about what's going on with the lottery, and they lead an uprising against the king, her father. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it already. Mm -hmm. So instead of sacrificing herself to the dragon, Elspeth reforms the kingdom under a new level hierarchy, a flat hierarchy. Yeah, and they do away with the lottery and find some other way to deal with the dragon. Maybe... Perhaps open negotiations. Maybe raise certain flocks of cattle or sheep to donate to the dragon and her little wormlings. Yeah, Maybe that's they a good can start. help protect their lands. See, that's a good starting point. Yeah, offer something that both sides benefit from yeah kind of game of thrones style make an alliance with the dragons yeah is yeah that, what's is this a is this a um a thing game of thrones uh something something dragons oh so, okay yeah yeah they're in there yeah yeah but um it would be just be really cool to see their adventures together and um they have a lot they could teach each other Yep. Because um, 
they have different types of experience. You know, Elspeth uh, can speak multiple languages. Yes. And um, that's right. They, she says she speaks Greek and Latin. Yeah, and, uh, and clearly English or Erlish. Er, er, Erlish. Uh, and she, she studied philosophy and politics, and um, so she would understand how, like, all the political intrigues and maneuverings to, necessary to lead a revolution. Right. And um, Valerian has the heart of the people on her side. And practical skills. Child of a blacksmith. Uh, you know, she's led um, some militias and she's led some campaigns and some. Gu- she's done some guard work. Yep. Yes. That actually uh, leads a little bit into my rewriting nice. history. Let's hear Because it. the two things you've described are a little bit uh, reminiscent of what, during the Hundred Year War, the French nobility feared would happen from Joan of Arc and Giles de Rey. Right. All right. right. Let's hear it. Joan of Arc, you know, she was just a peasant, right? Yeah, yeah. And she but trusted... what a peasant. Yeah, what a peasant. And she was a leader amongst certain military groups, mm-hmm. just like Valerian. And she right. dressed like a man. You know who else dressed like a man? Valerian. Oh, yeah. Damn. You see, the main character already is based off two saints. So I was thinking... They could have had Valerian as a sort of Joan of Arc figure. I love it. it. See, I was going to say, now we didn't talk about the part where Valerian kind of comes out as um, a female person to the village. She kind of appears in a nice dress, made up. And I would actually, I want to take that moment from the movie, but then kind of add just, or, or just revamp it so that it's more normalized. So maybe this can be a character who just effortlessly transitions between, you know, more practical like breeches and tunics in in battle or in uh, on the road, and then comfortably transitions into what's more associated yeah. feminine clothing when she's you know in meetings or you know council uh, with other noble or I with nobles and stuff. I love it. And there's just it, we don't need to. We don't need to make a big thing out of it. It yeah. just the transition is just effortless, and nobody thinks twice about it. So they're fluid or flexible in their gender expression. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. It's almost kind of like a practical approach to your clothing as well. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, unless you're James Bond, I don't think you're going to be like fighting a dragon in a tuxedo. <laughs> oh, but I want now. I want to see that though. Yeah, it sounds yeah. pretty cool. But yeah, I see she'd go into battle kind of dressed as a man because uh, I don't know, you know, soldier. Uh, you know, men's armor is probably a lot more practical than like. Typical booby fantasy armor. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of debate about it, but I'm not an armor specialist, unfortunately. Also, um, you know, you'll probably get funded more if you wear booby armor. You know, for your film. If I do. Yeah, if you do. Oh. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm willing to try. Yeah, it's true. It's worth a whatever the fans want. I'm willing to to do anything for views. (laughs) But uh. Yeah, I thought if Valyrian took on a bit more of a Joan of Arc role, that could be very empowering and cool for her character. Yeah, I really like the idea. In addition to that, I think, and it would be a bit of a gender swap, but if you wanted to add another saint in there, just if you were feeling like it, I was thinking of the captain of the guard. What's his name? Tyrion. Tyrion. Tyrion, yes. He went from just trying to pay off this dragon, killing villagers... 
killing mages. I, I think it would be great if Elspeth started leading this revolution, and she could be kind of like a Giles DeRay figure, that rich person who right. was on the side of Valerian. Right. As like a second hand to her to Valerian in yeah. this uprising. Nice. Yeah. Then Tyrion could change sides to be with them because he doesn't want to actually help the dragon when he sees no. that these two women and maybe maybe the main sorcerer as well is in on it as well. Once yeah, he more sees, of a flat hierarchy. Yeah, man. once he mm-hmm. sees that people are down to rally and like fight or side with the dragon or try a new approach, he's sick of seeing the bloodshed and he switches sides. Almost like a Saint Paul figure. As soon as the new law is in place, Tyrion is good to go. Yeah, exactly. It's, as soon as it's codified in the law, he's he's going to be fine with it. So this totally works. It's consistent with the Tyrion that we know. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe immediately after the war is, or the, the rebellion is done, Yeah. he sees that there's a new king in place and a former enemy instantly becomes a loyal follower. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and St. Paul, you know, he persecuted a lot of the early Christians and he swapped sides pretty early on. And I think that could be reflected in that as well. We turn this into a movie about reconciliation and and finding agreement between sides that up to this point have not had it. It's true. And when it comes to the whole dragon plot, when it comes to them kind of coming to a almost like a a peaceful resolution, yeah. like you were mentioning, where they yeah. feed the dragons or like train them even or Maybe, if, yeah. if how do you train your dragons? Oh boy, that's gonna be another episode <laughs> to answer. Yeah, but uh, we gotta do those movies. Yeah, then we could really get another even rewriting Earth history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where? Oh, can we please? Yeah, where uh, we get these kind of Christian figures like the saint. Mm-hmm. You know the allusions to saints to befriend, live alongside, and even live with. The pagan dragons. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, and I think if the main character, like the main sorcerer, was uh, a part or, of it or, too. Oric. Oric. The, you mean the old. Yeah, Oric yeah. and and his apprentice, Galen. Galen. Yeah. I think they could both be still a major part of the story. I think they would add a lot yeah. of interest to it. But as the main characters, I don't know. They have important talents that they can yeah. bring to this Very new proletariat. Yeah, yeah. Galen has, uh, you know, tricks. He's a trickster. He is very talented. And then he's Oric, an entertainer, obviously. Yeah. yeah, and then his master can explode. <laughs> Great negotiating tool. Yeah, that I would be so scared and intimidated if if a man like that was in the he's, room. He's the X-Factor. Yeah, he'll fucking stab himself in the chest if if it means winning a card. If he thought he could explode at you later. Yeah, exactly. This guy is crazy. I think that's a great retelling, though. Yeah, that was good. I think I'm ready to watch it. I'm ready to make it. Yeah. 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 So send in those donations. Nice. Yes. Well, that means it's time for Can You Roleplay It? The part of the show where we talk about role-playing games. Uh, fighter. There's a fighter. Uh, Who? Uh, a fighter? Valerian. Bold. She's a fighter. 
No, I'm really, I was, I, if you were going with the Joan of Arc thing, I'd go more like a paladin. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. In our rewriting history, I would certainly say Although that. I guess I don't know if, if building off the text of the film, I don't know if that uh, tracks quite. It's yeah. true. Sometimes we do both, honestly. Yes, to make things even more confusing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean... The, the listeners have all the context that we do up until this point, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I would say just based off the film, she's a fighter. In our retelling history, it would be so cool to see her, like, smiting. Oh, yeah. Yes. That'd be really cool. Burning brand. Yeah, burning brand. Yeah. I think we have to, though, talk about the two main magical characters in this film. Yeah, we should probably start with Ulrich. What type of caster is he? I think he's actually a wizard. Yeah. Because, um... More academic. He is academic. He's always telling Galen to study and read the books about how to learn how to use magic. Things that sorcerers never say. Yeah. That's fair. And he's always trying to pressure Galen. I think Galen's more of a sorcerer, though. Because he always <laughs> says he's reading the books, but you never actually see him doing it. And he, the second he gets a little bit of power without having to read, he runs with it. I think Galen might be like a rogue who took one of those feats that gives him some low-level magic. And then gets a magical artifact that just kind of lets him cast some more spells. Yeah, yeah before this, he was like lighting and like snuffing out candles. He was cleaning up. Mage turds. Yeah. Like all Wizards Apprentices. He was using Mage Hand to <laughs> lift things up. Yeah. Just very minor cantrip type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Maybe two or three times a day. Yeah. And I don't know if he's capable of casting some of the bigger spells he casts in the film without the artifact. But there, he certainly knows the words and the, you know, somatic and verbal components to some of these spells. In order to kill the dragon the first time, he, like, kind of looks inside the thing's cave, is like, no, I'm not going in there. <laughs> and then he's like, maybe I'll just trap it underground and it'll die eventually. And so he casts, uh, in D&D 5, at least, like, the 7th or 8th level spell, Earthquake. And yeah. he, brings, like, a, he brings a plateau down on top of this thing's <laughs> entrance. Yeah. Just a pretty m- mountain slide. And it's then, way more than what he thought it would be, and he gets shook. He is yeah. so shook. He's not used to actually resolving spells of that magnitude. No yeah, way. Yeah, he got so scared. Scurred. Scurred. <laughs> yeah, so he buries the dragon for probably a few weeks, maybe a few days. <laughs> so what level do we think this dragon is? CR? Uh, you know, it was beaten by a single party member. Well, <laughs> using a, a self-immolation Oh, that's spell. true, actually. It was stated to be an older dragon, and it was molting pretty regularly, which kind of is a sign that it was older as well. Ah, so maybe it was, well, <laughs> I guess it could have been weakening as age was uh, beginning to set on. Beyond Ancient Dragon, where its CR starts lowering <laughs> yeah, again. It's, it's dipping down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, decrepit Dragon. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of those situations where the, where the game master is like, oh, well, the party can't really handle, like, this monster at full power, so I gotta find some cheese way to just mm-hmm. kind of, like, bring it down, like... Yeah. I thought that they were gonna be more min-maxed or whatever, and they didn't really get to that point, so... Yep. Galen, uh, 
At one point, yeah, he uses the shield to stop its fiery blasts very easily. I mean, the magic item was essentially designed around doing that, but it works flawlessly. He's even got three attuned magic items. He's got the spear, the shield, and the necklace. Yeah, it's true. You're right, you're right. Very expertly observed. The spear, he stabs it into the back of this thing's neck and into the front of this thing's neck where it breaks off because it the handle was made of wood yeah big uh engineering flaw in this legendary artifact level weapon yeah sharp enough to cut an anvil in half in half with a wooden haft yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's true but even he uh, we're saying a sorcerer using a spear and shield is able to deal some damage to this dragon <laughs> So I thought it was like a rogue. He even had like kind of a backstab thing going on. Yeah, he was yeah, going for that's it. That's true. That could have just been Arcane Trickster. Yeah, 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 that's what I was thinking. You know, that actually makes so much sense. Yeah. And then the magic item just allows him to cast from the wizard spell list. Oh yeah, it allows him to cast spells that are way higher than his level. Yeah, I can capability. really see Arcane Trickster. He can't even control because it has a mind of its own. Yeah. Yeah. He can't even totally control what it does. Yeah, it's true. And yeah, he used Mage Hand, I think, is like the spell he uses most throughout the film. Mm-hmm. It's just like his coupe de grass. <laughs> he goes to it all the time. And that's what an arcane trickster is all about, you know, Mage Hand. Minor telekinesis. Yeah. Using that for uh, some uh, ledger domain ship and everything? Yeah, cantrips, maybe first level spells, that's the name of his game. And then, yeah. on occasion, he'll do something insane. And that's even surprising to him, so that's not something he's normally able to do. That's definitely the magic item. Nice. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Uh, I think his master uses the ninth level spell, <laughs> Self-Destruct. <laughs> Which is probably yes. a, a one that he had to write himself. Yeah. You know, a lot of wizards have to spend Ooh. their entire life making a spell efficient. They can make a spell... Just 20d6 fire damage from the explosion. Exactly. You can make a spell, but it won't be good. It'll be like one or two spell levels higher than it should be. You know, it'll take concentration maybe, but he spent... He, he didn't care with this one. He didn't have to refine this at all. He said, I don't care if it's redundant. I'm going to blow up when I cast it. <laughs> I don't need it to be refined. Yeah. So It doesn't have to work well, uh, elegantly. It just has to work well. Yeah, exactly. He's like, maybe this should be, I don't know, fifth level, but I'll cast it at a ninth level slot. I don't care. And wow. so, uh, yeah, he definitely, work he definitely wrote this down in a journal back when he was in, like, the college, like, the mage's college back in his frat days. Like, oh, better keep this close <laughs> to the chest. Yeah. Dude, I made a spell that'll fucking blow me up. <laughs> Bro! And then he, like, was like, I'm never gonna have to use this. I just thought it was funny to yeah. make. And then years later, he's like, oh, God, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna blow up. <laughs> I don't know what other spell to cast. <laughs> someday, guys, I'm gonna blow up. Ah, Ulrich always says he's gonna blow up someday. Yeah. 
It's, and then he did. It was the last spell he had prepared for the day. Yeah. It was like, uh, oh, bunga it is. <laughs> nice. Brutal. So yeah. we have uh, Valerian as a paladin. Yeah. But what about well, I guess more, more of a fighter in terms of the, the text that we're building off of. Yeah, and then in the rewriting history, she could be a paladin. Sure. Um, but we don't want to confuse everybody. No, but if if you're going to be building these characters or creating a storyline, you could either go off of the main text or... Or you can make it interesting. Or the one we created. (laughs) Yeah. So we could go either way. Uh, Elspeth in the main text, the main film, is more of an NPC character, but... Oh, well, if we're doing whatever we want, I want to make her a barbarian. Hell yeah. (laughs) No, I think in our rewrite, she could be a bard. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I I love it already. She's my favorite class besides she's, warlock. She has mm-hmm. this commanding presence. She has this charisma. Yeah. She's learned. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, multiple she, languages. Yeah, she's comfortable like speaking to a crowd and and building up a story and everything. Yeah. Good narrative. Yeah. Um. She understands what is important to people and and what how to appeal to people. So I think that she would make a really good bard. Yeah. I'm into it. Storyteller bard, maybe. I can really get behind it. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I just love bards. Yeah. I love bards so fucking much that I'm I'm going to just give it my stamp of approval. You know. <laughs> my seal. I don't know if this dragon was strong enough. And it would have to be a homebrew because I've never heard of such a thing before. But I think it would be really interesting if, as a treaty... She became, like, some sort of draconic warlock. Ooh. Where she signed a deal with, like, a dragon. Well, they are tied to magic. Yeah, why not? If there's a really strong dragon, I'm talking real strong, they should be able to make a warlock. Yeah. I don't know if the one in our rewriting history would be that strong, but I'm assuming... In rewriting history, there's probably going to be more than one. Well, in D&D, there's always a lot of, like, dragon gods. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, draconic warlock. Could be pretty cool. It's like a peace cool. treaty. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. dig it. I'm into it. Nice. Mm-hmm. You could even have a whole, like, sect of warlock. Kind of like the ancient druids, like the black druids. They could be warlock to dra- draconic warlock. Yeah. Uh... Am I right that back in older editions of D&D, becoming a Dragonborn was kind of similar to that? In 3rd edition, uh, a Dragonborn was not like a a race that you're born into with its own culture. Like, anyone could become a Dragonborn through a process from one of the, I I think it was like the Tome of Dragons or something. Um, And you would like hatch from an egg, I think. But, like, you, you could be, like, a human dragonborn, or a dwarven dragonborn, sure, or a sure. halfling dragonborn. Maybe that's not the direction she'd go. You were actually but... born, reborn as a dragon, not born as a dragon. Right. That makes sense. But, uh, you know, something along those lines. Something dragony. <laughs> yeah. All we know, all we know, for a fact, there's going to be dragons. Yeah. It's like that movie I love, There Will Be Dragons. Here, there be dragons. Oh, that too, yeah. <laughs> Dude, where's my dragon? Dude. Oh, dude. Dude, you're getting a dragon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Are there any other characters we think we got to put in there? Well, we didn't talk about Tyrion. Fighter. Fighter. <laughs> I, I kind of figured he was a fighter. Wait. Anti-paladin. 
Holy Ooh. hell. That's no, that's no, evil. Uh, yeah, no, I, he's I, neutral. I think so. he's neutral. Yeah, I, can't you be neutral and be? A, do you have to be evil? Uh, I, I, I mean, it depends on what you're playing. <laughs> Your touch causes disease. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not everyone, but that's just the most. I mean, it, in older edition of D and D, it was the um, the paladin, which you had to be lawful good, and the. Uh, Blackguard, which you had to be chaotic evil, and you could be like a fallen paladin or whatever. But uh, yeah, I I, I I don't think that he's got any holy power necessarily. In fact, I mean, he's so like he he seems like kind of like more of a a guy who's not really interested in the religious order because it is kind of he sees it as separate from the law itself. You know, he he's not. He seemed a little bit more modern um, in the way that they portrayed him. Boy, mm-hmm. I've got an idea. And it, it might go against the quote I actually said of his earlier. Oh man, you better you better be careful. You're treading on thin ice. Yes. If, if the new queen's law matches with how she lives her life, I could see him taking an oath of the crown paladin. Okay. Where oh. he he gets his powers from his devotion to the kingdom and to the, the laws. To the law. Oh, yeah. dude, that's so perfect. Yeah, because you don't technically need a god to be a paladin, right? Yeah. You can get it from your strong sense of belief. And yeah, uh, yeah he dude, he believes in the law enough to <laughs> kill people. <laughs> <laughs> to straight up murder motherfucker. So he's <laughs> Like many law enforcement, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. <Lord>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, oath of the crown, I could see it, and this is only uh, down a certain timeline. Normally, right, I think he would right, be a right. fighter that would convert to such a thing. That's a neat yeah, backstory, be. though, you know, yeah, kind of a tumultuous backstory. Maybe he feels like he has to atone for, yeah, oh, yeah, and may, yeah, maybe just like. He couldn't do it because the last king, he just disagreed with him so much. Oh, that's nice. He just disagreed with the last king so much. But under the new rulership, under Elspeth, he feels like he can fully devote himself. Yeah. And stand for something. Yeah, yeah. Could be. Yeah. Nice. I'm into it. Well, that about does it here on Swords and Satire. We'd like to thank you all for listening. We really hope you'd... Go on the Instagram and follow us at Swords and Satire. And, and Facebook. Also on Facebook at the Swords and Satire group. And on Twitter at, at Swords and Satire, if I know how these things work. And <laughs> we're um, going to start getting a Patreon set up so that you can throw us a few bucks if you like this. But it's, it's not quite ready yet. Or maybe it will be by the time you hear this. I don't know yet. My God. Anything could happen. Reality could twist and turn and eat itself uh, Ouroboro style. If you like what you heard, give us a like on social media. Subscribe to our channel on either Spotify or iTunes. And tell and, tell your friends. And <laughs> drop us a review. Yeah. Pen it like a bard would. Nice. Yeah. So thank you, everybody. You can also, like, climb to the top of a really high mountain and just shout the name of the podcast. That's that's helpful. Shout it into the universe. Yeah. I like it. Walk into the doorway of your local shopping mall or Target Mm -hmm. and then just shout the name loudly into the establishment. Tell your priest or uh, other religious uh, practitioner to give it a listen. Your cleric. Rabbi? Anything? Yeah. yeah. Doula? Anyone? 
Do yeah. what? Yeah, let your doula know, please. Yeah. Um, play it for your uh, infant. <laughs> yeah. Make a lifelong fan. Yeah. Chuckle softly at the sounds of our voices. <laughs> yeah. You know, every chuckle, jokes. every chuckle gets the word out. Every chuckle gets us a little bit closer to immortality. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, on that note, until next week, Hail Crom!